Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Be turning your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, this is our third week in uh, Ecclesiastes, and so we've been... The, one of the things about Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher uh, that, that is doing the speaking in Ecclesiastes, is, is kind of repetitive. He keeps going over some of the same things. So you're going to hear some of the same things we've been hearing for the last couple of weeks, but there are some new things as well. Uh, Ecclesiastes, you know... It, it, it's not like the prophets. Uh, I was just listening to another preacher preach a, a different sermon on Ecclesiastes today. And uh, he said, Ecclesiastes is not like the prophets where you have the prophets saying, thus says the Lord. The Ecclesiastes is more like, more like, it's still divinely inspired, but it's more like the philosopher reflecting on the world as it is. Um, and so you have uh, Solomon, or the preacher, that is um, reflecting on life in his older age and, and thinking about all the things that people try to find meaning in and how they have all been empty. They have all been vanity. He begins in chapter 1 saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And so it's really a pick-me-up, you know. <laughs> Not really. He says that it's vanity, it's all vanity, it's just striving after wind, and you can just never catch it, you can never grasp it. But, last week, at the end, we saw how he said, the, the, in the end, God's gift is that we can just enjoy life. We can eat and drink and enjoy life as we live it, to enjoy our labors. Um, tonight, he's continuing to reflect on some of the same ideas, but there is the, the big idea in this text is how God has determined a time. That He's a determined a time for everything. So let's read our text. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to, to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful 
in its time. Also, He put eternity into man's hearts so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is the gift, is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people may fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. Lord, it's sometimes difficult to understand Your Word. Uh, Passages like this, um, they they find they're sometimes difficult to to really grasp what You're getting at. So Lord, I pray that You would help us, that You would enlighten us to see um, with Your eyes Pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and Lord, hearts that obey your word. And Father, I pray that you would be with me, that you would give me grace. Lord, I am a wretched sinner. I need need your grace and I need your strength to be able to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, tonight's theme, if we were to call it a theme, is God has fixed a time. Beginning in verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Uh, and in this, notice so far what we're seeing is he's, he's just saying there is a time. But he hasn't yet said what he's going to say later. God is the one who's in charge of time. God is the one who has... Fix those times. But from this perspective, you know, uh, Solomon or the preacher who's who's preaching this uh, has often been seeing things and, and talking about things under the sun. He's talking about them from the perspective of under the sun as if there was no God. So if there were no God, everything would just be vanity. Everything would just be meaningless. But as we've looked at in the other weeks, God brings meaning into what would be meaningless without Him. He tells us a series of 14 different things in pairs of two. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die. So you look at those two things, a time to be born and a time to die, and they're like bookends on the whole thing. We're born at the beginning of our lives, and, and we die, and it happens to every human being who has ever existed. There's a, there's a time to be born, and if you haven't already, you will. Another cheer, cheery thing to think about. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Um, you know, it's springtime. We're out gardening. Um, we have uh, a couple of 
Cherry trees that we just planted because cherry trees, you know, you, you want to plant those things in the spring, I guess. <laughs> I'm not really, I don't have a green, green thumb, but I'm assuming springtime, that's when you want to plant them. Unfortunately, I think we were a little bit late. <laughs> those cherry trees, they, they already look dead when we've got them into the ground. So I don't know. We probably didn't plant them at the right time. There is a time to plant, and then there's a time to pluck up what's been planted. Next fall, next spring, when it gets to be time to plant cherry trees, I'm going to pluck those things up if they're dead, <laughs> and we're going to have to plant something new there. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to pluck up. There's a time to plant. You know, you're, you're planting your potatoes and your your carrots and those things that grow under the ground. And what are you going to do whenever the time comes? You're going to pull those things up out of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> A time to kill and a time to heal. Um, we don't like to think about the first of these. There's a time to kill. But, you know, there are appropriate times even for killing. Uh, we look at Genesis chapter 9. And in Genesis chapter 9, after uh, the flood, God tells Noah... That if a, if a person should kill another person, if, if by, by man, a man's blood is shed, then the only appropriate punishment is capital punishment. Um, so I, I think whenever the, the, the government bears the sword uh, in, in cases where a, a person has put another person to death, the only appropriate punishment because of the value of human life is for that person's life to be taken as well. And there's a time to heal. Um, you, you know, we, we have been praying for certain people to be healed. We pray for uh, Jane uh, when she's got her breathing problems. And we've, we've prayed for Jason. And the Lord has listened to our prayer. Um, and even just when we... Get sick. We ask God for healing. And He gives it. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. He's, he's, each of these things are also in pairs of opposites from one another. A time to break down and a time to build up. You know, if uh, you're going to go in and, and, and uh, let's say a rehab job on a house. You're going to go in first and you're going to tear things out. You're going to do a little bit of demolition. We're going to tear walls out that have maybe rotted and things like that. There's a time to break down. And then once you have all that broken down, you're going to build back up again. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. We have in this room four widows. Widows or widowers. And that is a time to weep. It is appropriate. And there's a time to laugh. We think, uh, my son, just, you know, he is just full of life and bouncing around, and sometimes he does things that are inappropriate, and we, the only response that we can do is just laugh. There is a time to weep, and there is a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. I think that goes along with the one we had just read. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to weep so much that you're just, wow. 
wailing, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. You're so happy that you just can't help but just break out into dancing. Of course, we're Baptists, we don't do that. (laughs) A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones. You know, the commentary I read uh, reflected on this one and thought, that is really kind of a difficult one to figure out. A time to gather stones and a time to throw away stones. What 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 is that all about? Um, here's one possibility. I don't know for sure, but in the ancient world, whenever there would be wars, one of the things that you would do would be gather up stones and throw them on your opponent's field so that they were unable to grow crops. Okay, so while the war is going on, you're throwing stones on your opponent's field. And then when the war's over and there's peace again, what do you got to do? You pick all those stones back up again so that you can plant. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Again, you can kind of think of, of the concept of, uh, of a time of, of war. You know, whenever, whenever you're at, at war with another country, you're probably not going to go up to the soldiers you're fighting against and give them a big hug. <laughs> You're not going to do that. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain from embracing. Or maybe it's appropriate um, to embrace a, a, a loved one at a time when you're mourning. And then there's a time whenever maybe it wouldn't be appropriate. Maybe you know somebody is, is just not really much of a hugger. <laughs> and so you refrain just out of respect. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. You might think of the story of the, of the woman who had, had the ten coins in the New Testament that Jesus told. She had these ten coins and she had lost one and she was sweeping out the house looking everywhere so she could find that one coin that she had lost and when she found it, she rejoiced. Okay? There's a time to be seeking like she did, like she saw. And then there's a time to lose. And I, I think... Um, what that is, it's, it's to be just give it up as lost. It, once you finally looked everywhere, you might just have to say, I'm sorry, I, I can't find it. I'm going to give it up. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. When we're young families, a lot of times we accumulate things. We accumulate, you know, because uh, we're young and we've got Life ahead of us, and you know we, our garage gets fuller and fuller and fuller. And then, when we get older, everybody's get, our kids are then going to wonder, "What are you going to do with all the stuff, Mom and Dad? <laughs> what are you going to do with all the stuff?" There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. Again, I think that has to do with mourning. When in the ancient world, whenever someone was mourning, what would they do? They would tear their clothes. Like whenever um, um, in Jonah, in the book of Jonah, you've got uh, Jonah walks into the city of Nineveh and he proclaims 30 days and the city's going to be destroyed. God's going to destroy the city. And the king, he gets down off his throne, he covers himself in sackcloth and ash, and he tears his clothes, right? It's one of the things that they would do. They would, it was part of mourning. They would tear. And then when things are better again, you can sew that all up. Regret what you did. <laughs> sew that all up so that you don't have to throw it out. 
a time to keep silent and a time to speak. I think of uh, uh, the proverb that was paraphrased by Abraham Lincoln. Uh, It comes from the Proverbs, but it's better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? There's a time to keep silent. Sometimes, especially when you're coming to someone who's mourning, someone who is grieving, sometimes you just want to be there and listen to them and keep your mouth shut. There was a while whenever Job was mourning, whenever all the the tragedies came upon Job, that his friends sat and listened to him. And then his friends finally thought, well, the official mourning time is over. And then they spoke and they said the wrong things. And then there's a time to speak. There's an appropriate time to speak. Sometimes... God calls on us to say something that's unpopular. Uh, Nobody likes to talk about sin in the world today. But God calls us to speak. There is a time to keep silent. And there is a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. We, uh, We understand the time to love. We don't understand the time to hate. <laughs> what? Time to hate. The Bible does often, particularly I think in the Psalms, speak of, of the rightness of, of hating what is evil. Um, I think that is probably the best I can come to understand that there's a time to love what is good and hate what is evil. Um, a time for war and a time for peace. All of those things are in pairs as we see how it's structured. A time to be born, a time to die, all the way down to a time for war and a time for peace. They're all opposites. And what do you notice that they're doing? They're canceling each other out. Notice that? Time to be born, time to die. Time for war, time for peace. Time to pluck up, time to plant. They're canceling each other out. And so he comes to the next question which he's asked before and says, what gain has the worker from his toil? In chapter 1, he asks, what gain is there for the worker for all of his toil? And we give the answer, there is no gain. He keeps striving and it's all vanity and chasing after wind. And here he's illustrating this with his poem about time. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And what he's noticing about this is... There's no gain in all of it. What comes into the world goes back out of the world. What what gain has the worker from all his toil? And then he says what he's already said before in uh, later in chapter one. He says, "I've seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with." Remember that phrase from last week we looked at. He said it was an unhappy business, an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. So as he looks at the world, he he hasn't yet really reflected on God's good gift. And as he looks at the world under the sun, it's all vanity, it's all striving after wind. And then he says this, He has made everything beautiful 
in its time. Some might translate that fitting, others appropriate, but God has made everything appropriate for its time, fitting for its time. And, and I, 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 that's what I was thinking of whenever I selected the, uh, re- the passage for Amy to read. At the fullness of time, there, had to, uh, there was a time that came in all of history when it was right for the Messiah to come into the world. You had all of Old Testament history from Adam and Eve to Abraham to, to uh, uh, David and, and all of the kings and the, and the, the um, um, exile and then back from exile and building the walls. And then at the right time, Christ comes into the world. God is in charge of time. He has appointed everything. He has chosen the He chose the moment that I would be born, that you would be born. He created you and knit you in your mother's womb to be born at the moment that you were born. And he knows and has chosen the exact moment in which you will die. Um, there's a story of um, Stonewall Jackson, and it appears in the movie Gods and Generals, uh, of how um, Stonewall Jackson was up on his horse, and the, the bullets were flying, and uh, one of his men looked up and said, how can you be so brave in the face of all these bullets that are coming? You're up on your horse. Uh, of course, these aren't his exact words. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, I believe that God has pointed the exact time in which I will die, and there's nothing that gives more courage than that. If you believe that God has determined the moment you will die, then you can have bravery. You know, you're not gonna, nothing's going to happen to you until it's your time. He has, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in man's heart. He has put a longing for something more. We see this poem above that talks about a time to be born and a time to die and all of these different things that seem to cancel each other out. The, the teacher asks the question, what prophet is there? And he answers, Nothing, and yet he then says, I said prophet, I meant the preacher. He says, he's put eternity in his hearts. Man longs for something more. When you look at the the animals, uh, the dogs, our cats, our pets, uh, or livestock, they don't consider time. They don't consider history. And they don't consider the future except for maybe their next meal. But human beings can consider time. We can reflect on hundreds and thousands of years of human history. We can learn about those things and we can contemplate what the future holds in a way that other creatures can't. God has put eternity in our hearts. He has put time and the ability to understand time in our hearts. He's made us different and unique from all the other creatures. 
And He has put within us a longing and a desire for something more than just what's under the sun. What's under the sun is just vanity and striving after wind. But He has put in our hearts a desire for a purpose. And then, yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. He has put eternity in our hearts, and yet he's left us frustrated. I'll read it again. He, um, and he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. He has put this longing in us, and yet He has left us frustrated. We just can't figure it out. The deepest philosophers of all the ages can only glimpse, just just barely scratch the surface of all that there is to know in the mind of God. Then... He says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. That's where we ended in chapter 2. Chapter 2 ends in a very similar idea. After reflecting on all those things, after reflecting on what seems like the meaningless of life without God, he says, the best that we can do, God's gift to us, is to just enjoy life, to enjoy eating and drinking and take pleasure in life and to enjoy our toil. But he adds something that wasn't in chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, he talks about eating and drinking and enjoy your toil. And here he adds, to be joyful and do good. To be joyful and do good. He brings in a moral component here. Not only are we just to enjoy life, but we're to do good. There is a Creator. There is a God that we will one day stand in judgment before. If you consider life under the sun apart from God, if we are just a bunch of atoms and molecules bouncing around the universe with no purpose, then everything is meaningless. But if we are created in God's image, as the Bible tells us, if we will one day stand before this holy Creator and answer for the life that we've lived, that brings purpose and meaning into our lives. Because we will stand to account for things. The pleasure seeker who rejects the idea of God because to believe in God means that I have to do what He says may for a while have some kind of pleasure for a season. But it's just going to leave them empty. But for the one who looks to God, the one who wants to please God, 
and do good. That, is, that brings some meaning into our lives. Then the preacher says in verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor taken, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. Now we've heard the first part before. This idea that what God has done can't be changed. He, he talked in the chapter 1 about how the sun, it, it, it rises in the morning and goes down and then goes right back to the place where it started again and goes, you know, uh, as far as their perception of things. Sun rises and then the streams, all of them, they flow to the sea and the sea never gets full. And all of these things that God has done, the, the world that God has made, the fact that He has put eternity in our hearts, all of those things, He has done it all and it can't be changed for a reason. And He says that at the end of verse 14. So that people fear before Him. He has made everything. He has fixed the times so that we will fear before Him. Romans chapter 1 talks about how creation creation itself reveals God to us. Uh, he, he talks in, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about how the fact we are born knowing God, but we reject that. We, we, we um, suppress that in unrighteousness. He talks about how the heavens declare God's glory and, and, and how we see His handiwork in all of creation. He has done all these things to communicate to us He's there. He exists And He is the one who brings purpose to what would otherwise be a meaningless existence. He has done all these things to call out to us. To cause us to fear Him. The events that happen in our lives, He has determined every one of them. And He has led you up to the moment where you are right now in this room. All for His purposes to cause us to fear Him. Verse 15, that which has already been, that which is to be, already has been, And God seeks what has been driven away. That last line kind of troubles me. God seeks what has been driven away. Um, The word there has the idea of pursuing. God seeks what has been pursued. Uh, I I think it's probably best to understand that that, that still that cyclical nature. What has been, God keeps doing the same things over and over again. And He's calling out by creation. He's done all of these things. He has appointed everything in our lives to bring us to Himself. 
Jesus, in speaking of um, salvation, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And God has been working in all of His creation from the very beginning. And He is working and calling us, calling His people, so that when we hear the Gospel, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus took our sin on Himself, that He paid for our sins, that we can have forgiveness in His blood. We can't believe that unless He draws us. Unless He brings us to Himself. And He has appointed every moment in your life bringing you up to right here hearing this message. I think as far as I know, everybody is a believer in here. I don't know for sure. God has appointed every moment in your life bringing you to this point. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you trusted that He is who He said He is? Have you trusted that He paid for your sins on the cross? Maybe everything that God has brought you to to this moment. And maybe somebody who's watching online, as you're listening to this, maybe everything that's brought you to this moment, and now you see it. And how everything, the good and the bad, has meant to make you fear Him to make you trust in Jesus as Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.